the reality is, is that the enemy to healthy indoor air is not mold. It's dampness. And all mold growth indoors of any significance is potentially problematic for indoor air quality, especially for sensitive individuals. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Well, 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 happy 2022 to you all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Today, I have Jason Earl. Jason is a healthy home evangelist and founder of Got Mold. Jason is a man on a mission, an adoring father, incurable entrepreneur, and indoor air quality crusader. He's the founder and CEO of 1-800-GOT-MOLD and Lab USA and creator of Got Mold Test Kit. Today, we are going to discuss mold and indoor air quality. Over the last 20 years, Jason has performed countless sick building investigations, solving many medical mysteries along the way, helping thousands of families recover their health and peace of mind. He has been featured and appeared on Good Morning America, Extreme Makeover, Home Editions, The Dr. Oz Show, Entrepreneur, Wired, and at least two college textbooks and more. Hope you enjoy this episode. And Jason has a special gift for the listeners. If you go to www.gotmold.com backslash rebel, you can download a how to find mold in your home ebook. Also, Rebel 10 will get you 10% off mold kits, mold testing kits. So if you need one kit, two kits or three kits or more, save 10% by using the code REBEL10. Enjoy this episode and make it a fantastic day. Jason Earl, right? That's right. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Happy 2022 to you. Happy New Year. Yes, sir. It's a new year, a new you, if you want to do it that way. I don't, nothing really changes. I just make better, bigger goals. And so, Today, we are going to talk about a topic I've been waiting, or actually, we're going to talk about a topic I've been wanting to discuss for a long time and haven't had the opportunity until your people reached out to me to do this, and it's mold and mold toxicity. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode so much is because those that are suffering from mold illness are often misdiagnosed and more times than not. The condition is overlooked altogether. Indeed. So before we dive into this topic, I love stories about health and people that follow their passion. And you were a you were the youngest licensed stockbroker in the history at age 17, and also in Genesis World Book of Records for this feat. How in the hell did you go from being a stockbroker to mold detective and, and getting mold, got mold started? That was hard to spit out. 
<laughs> but we got it out. Yes, that's a good question. Uh, well, a lot of uh, a lot of this was uh, relatively accidental. Wall Street was was uh, an accident. First of all, uh, thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your people reaching out to me because I've really wanted to do this, and this was a great opportunity with a great product. So, well, thank you. Thank you. I know it's it's a it's a it's a funny thing. People uh, often ask when 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 uh, our team reaches out, they all say, "Mold, what are, mold, what, what are we going to talk about?" And I, you know, I have to remind people that our target market is very narrow. We look to speak to people about this who live in buildings and breathe air. Very narrow. Right. It's pretty large. So <laughs> it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a subject that everyone's going to have to deal with at some point, right? It, you know, in some way, shape, or form. I look at mold as it's it's up there with death and taxes. You know, it's a fact of life. It's a it's a fact of nature. It's not something that happens accidentally. It happens with great regularity, with great predictability. If you have enough moisture, that's how it happens. But you know, the, the way I got into the mold business, uh, the healthy home business, more accurately, uh, was 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 very organic. Uh, you know, to use the to to continue to use the mold metaphor, we I I, I ended up after Wall Street having a realization that my childhood home. What was probably what would cause my illness. So I'll rewind and sort of start at the beginning. I grew up in a, a little farm town outside of Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, it's actually called Princeton Junction, about an hour outside of New York. And uh, we, we had a bunch of rescued animals, and it was it was kind of a little boy's dream. Uh, we had horses and goats and all sorts of good stuff. Five acres and surrounded by fields. But around around the age of four years old, I, I suddenly uh, got ill uh, and I lost a bunch of weight in a, in a very brief period of time and. My, my mom brought me to the pediatrician and they said, no, you should take him to Children's Hospital. Uh, this is serious. And, and initially they diagnosed me with cystic fibrosis, which was, of course, a devastating diagnosis, um, um, but especially because my father had four cousins who died from CF before the age of 14. So they spent six weeks crying uh, while they were waiting for the uh, appointment for the, for the second opinion. And, uh, and they were grateful to to, to learn that I didn't have cystic fibrosis. Uh, actually, what I had was asthma, and it was compounded by pneumonia. And when they tested me for allergies, they uh, they put me in, in a papoose or like a, this open... So I, I think about it like a straitjacket for toddlers. I could use one of those right now. I got two of them. <laughs> I, got, I got two kids in diapers. So I could use one of those now. But... but uh, but they use this this uh, you know open back sort of restraint system uh, and drew a grin on my back and put the antigens or these out you know these these skin tests on my back and uh, my dad said I looked like a ladybug just big red <laughs> swollen back with dots all over it so I was allergic to everything they tested me for grass wheat corn eggs dogs cats cotton you know, it's uh, me, my, my clothes, my sheets, uh, you know, it was everything. And I, again, grew up in a little non-working farm, but surrounded by cornfields and soybean fields and, you know, all the allergens in high concentration. And uh, so, you know, they, they they were told, my parents were told that I was going to be a bubble boy. And my, my both my parents were a little hard scrabble. And they said, no, he'll, he'll figure it out. My mom was a nurse and, and my dad was a, a, a reporter, but my mom was very much like, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. You know, and so I lived on the inhalers. And then when, when I was about 12, uh, my folks split up and uh, moved out of that house and all my symptoms disappeared. Mm. Um, it wasn't instant, but it was as instant as you can, as you can uh, imagine. And it was a gradual reduction. And I just, and I never thought about it 
again, except it was discussed briefly at the time because my grandfather had also grown out of, out of his asthma. And, uh, and so they, they attributed it to, to just, you know, adolescence. But uh, I, I didn't think about it again until, uh, you know, fast forward. I, uh, I was, you know, and, and, and I, I, my mom died suddenly when I was 14. And then I got Lyme disease a year later, uh, which was early 90s. So the treatment for that was very aggressive antibiotics. Lots of Biaxin, 30 pills a day on, 30 pills a day for three days, and then, and then three days off. So it was really brutal on my gut. And I developed a, a nice chemical sensitivity and, and all sorts of other good stuff off of that. Digestive issues that has that that taken me 20 years to to get, get control of, but the, but the bottom line is that, you know, 13 mom died Lyme disease right after that. And so they basically forced me to drop out of, out of high school. And, uh, and so I got a job working at the gas station where I, I full-time job. Uh, I was already part-time there. And I met a guy who recruited me, uh, uh, to come work for him. I fixed his flat tire and he gave me a big tip. And I saw him two weeks later and I approached him and, 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 you know, said, Hey, I don't know if you realize that you gave me such a big, you know, I feel like you, you overpaid me. And, and uh, anyway, long story short, he recruited me to come work for him. And so it was literally like a fairy tale. And it's a much longer story for maybe for another podcast. But, but the <laughs> bottom line is I ended up working, I ended up getting recruited by a guy who was managing director of a, of a penny stock firm during the, during the you know, early 90s. And uh, I happened to uh, take to it well. And, uh, and uh, I was started at 16. And uh, I worked there for about a year before I got my, my stockbroker's license. And I didn't know it at the time that I had become the youngest licensed stockbroker in, in history. Uh, and then years later, I got a Guinness World Record uh, for that. And I did that for nine years. I had a really nice, uh, I, had a fun, I had owned my own firm for two years uh, towards the end, right before the dot-com bubble burst. Uh, when, I, when, I, when, when that happened, the firm I owned, the branch office of, uh, we have a OSJ or a franchise, uh, they went out of business. And so I just said, yeah, you know, this is no longer fun anymore. Had my ups and downs, closed the chapter, and I went backpacking. I just left. I went traveling. And uh, while I was in Hawaii, I was reading a story about a guy who got sick from the hotel where he was working because he had a mold problem. And it was like a deja vu moment for me because uh, he had talked about how he was otherwise healthy. But after being exposed to the mold in this hotel, uh, he suddenly developed adult onset asthma, which was something I'd never heard of. And also sensitivity to all these foods and things that, that he had never been sensitive to before. And it was like a, day, it was like a light bulb went on for me and because it was deja vu moment, if you will. But it was like, just flips, flip, flip this story around, right? He was living my story, but 40 years fast forward. And so um, so I just thought, geez, I wonder if we had a mold problem, uh, which spurred me to call my father from a payphone, uh, which probably isn't there anymore, and said, <laughs> and said, uh, hey, dad, do you think we had a mold problem? And his, uh, his response was, of course we had mold. We had mushrooms in the basement. Why do you ask? And he just thought, thought it was just so flippant of him. Of course, they, they smoked indoors. They both had... Yeah, both asthmatic kid. They both smoked indoors, even in the car with the windows closed. That was just the seventies and eighties. That was just what people did. Stuff. But anyway, the bottom line is, I immediately saw that there was the, the connection there, and I realized that we had, we had so much dampness in that basement. So, in retrospect, and based upon what I've seen, it's very clear to me that the damp, that chronic dampness in the building, which is now, according to the Institute of Medicine, a bunch of other research, chronic dampness in buildings is a cause of significant underlying illness. It's widespread, barely understood. Uh, the research is coming in and it's coming in in droves. It's very exciting, uh, but it tends to be siloed in different areas. And so, but anyway, my, my immune system was on high alert. And so I became sensitive to all these latent, all these latent sensitivities emerged in the front. And my body just said, I'm not going to deal with any of that stuff. And so I was just a complete allergic, 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 allergic mess. 
Now, absent that exposure, I test positive for zero allergies, zero. Nice. Um, and so the point is, is that, A, there's hope for people who are going through this, if anyone's listening and they're dealing with a mold issue, uh, especially if it's allergic uh, in nature, that can be, that can correct itself. Uh, and it takes vigilance and, and you have to be, you know, you have to be patient and kind with yourself and, and, and everything else. But, but the bottom line, and, and eliminate exposure, which is number one, but the bottom line is it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, Permanent diagnosis, but the bottom line is, I, I came back from New Jersey, came back to New Jersey uh, from Hawaii, curious, armed with a lot of uh, questions. But I ended up taking a job working for a mold remediation company as a salesman, just going around. Actually, it was a basement waterproofing company, but they did mold remediation on the side. Oh, they were doing mold remediation. They were trying to, trying to make that a larger part of the business. Keep in mind, this is twenty years ago, so there was not, there was no industry, mold right. industry, mold, mold inspection. But I identified that there was going to be an industry, and I was way early. But I was I was identified there's going to be an industry, and eventually, like lead paint and asbestos, there was going to be an inspection company, and there's going to be remediation companies, and they would be they would be legal, they would be regulated as such. And so I took a job working for this remediation company and saw that they were doing bad business and they were hurting people. And I saw that most of the companies in the industry were they're using a lot of chemicals uh, and all that, uh, all these all these substitutes for hard work. And uh, and actually leaving these buildings a lot sicker than they than they had uh, found them uh, in many cases, leaving behind all these biocides and and not cleaning up the mold and not doing an effective job of fixing the underlying water problem. And so I started an inspection company to help protect the consumer from that. Uh, and we pioneered the use of mold sniffing dogs, and uh, that became a company called One Eight Hundred Got Mold, which is my mold inspection business. And and that that has been uh, just the most amazing way for us to 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 help people. But the problem is is that inspections are are expensive, and the you know the average consumer you know the average inspections around fifteen hundred dollars or so. Uh, so the average consumer you know it's out of it's out of reach, and then even finding a qualified professional that's not conflicted with some sort of you know other uh, financial arrangement with a remediation company or what have you is very difficult. Uh, it's very difficult for the consumer. And so with that in mind, a number of years ago, we began creating a do-it-yourself test kit that would give people, concerned consumers, a cost-effective first way to test their air without having to make a big commitment, without having to deal with the cost, the cost or concerns about hiring a professional. But, uh, but the bottom line is what this has really been for me, old in general, has been a way to take a look at this experience of, of going through, trying to figure out a way to create the tools and resources for uh, other families so that they don't have to go through a family. My, my family did. Yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, the funny part about it is, is there's a lot of people, and we're going to get into this today, there's all kind of mold toxicity exists. I mean, coffee, from the coffee you drink at the grocery store is a big one lately because that stuff sits in warehouses, on shelves. Sure. And, you know, so that's one. But the biggest thing, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, is... And I said this a little when we started that this is this this gets misdiagnosed because let's face it, allopathic physicians don't understand this. They do they, not. They do not understand this, and and also mold and Lyme's tends to emulate Lyme's disease as well. So it often gets misdiagnosed as Lyme's disease. And then when you do all the work to reverse the Lyme's disease, it's not fixing. It doesn't usually fix the mold part. So Yeah, there's a heavy overlap there. Yes, yes. So this is a tough one. And 
Let's talk about, I mean, first of all, mold toxicity causes a very, very, very huge chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is CIRS, CIRS in our bodies. And that could range from a lot of different symptoms. And that's where this gets confusing because brain fog, brain fog fatigue are usually on the top. But there's a lot of other things like muscle cramping, numbness, eye problems. You know, it's just a, a, a whole list of things that this can, disruption, this inflammatory response causes in our system because our system seeing that mold or feeling that mold. And the first response of our system is to create this inflammatory response to combat it. But we don't know where it's coming from. And we can't put a finger on it because, let's face it, mold is something, like you said, to your point, and we're going to get into this right now, it can be hidden and not recognized as mold. I mean, it's not like you see a black spot on the wall every time. Or, But let's get into what are some of the symptoms of mold illness? Well... There's a lot there. So uh, mold illness can be broken down into a, a, a few different categories. You've got the typical sort of allergic responses, upper respiratory, uh, hay fever-like symptoms, you know, a sinus congestion, things like that. And, and they tend to be more acute. Uh, the, you know, hives, itchy eyes, these kinds of things, they tend to go away when you, when you leave the environment. There are more chronic allergic reactions that tend to be more obstructive airway. You know, you start to see, more, you know, the, the wheezing. Uh, you know, you might have more prolonged chronic sinus congestion or chronic sinusitis, which is, by the way, according to the Mayo Clinic, uh, 37 million Americans suffer from chronic sinusitis. And uh, the vast majority, 99, 90-plus percent of those cases are mold-related. Wow. Most of the people who suffer from chronic sinusitis are probably not aware of that. And it's the most prevalent long-term respiratory illness. Uh, so they should be probably brought up to speed on that. Uh, respiratory, you know, uh, asthma, 24.6 million Americans have asthma. 10 million of those are kids. That number, by the way, the 10 million is up 100% just in the last decade. Uh, but what's interesting is that EPA and Berkeley Labs did a study and concluded that 4.6 million of the 24.6, about 25% is mold and dampness related. And so that that's not just that it aggravates it, but, the, but there's also a causal link. The other stuff that you start getting into when you start talking about toxin-based illnesses, that's where the list just goes through the roof uh, or inflammatory-based uh, uh, symptoms through the roof because you could pretty much, pretty, pretty much anything. I, I hate to say it. I mean, it's, it's almost every, it's every doctor's nightmare. It's you come in, especially when you start, you start with Brain, brain fog and fatigue. It's like, okay, right. you and everybody else, you know, right. what are you a parent? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you have a job? You know, like, you know, like, get exactly. in line, you know, right. there's no pill for that. That's called life. But right. the truth is that when you really have, whether, whether it be COVID induced or mold induced or, or inflam, inflammation induced, you know, it's actually really interesting that there's a, there, what, what book was it that I just, uh, it doesn't really matter, but it, basically the conclusion that this oh is breathtaking by Doctor mm. uh, Michael Ste by, by Michael uh, Stephen, and he said that uh, inflammation is present in most psychiatric illness. Uh, it's not just people think about inflammation as being this thing that happens when you bump into something, or you know there's trauma involved, or or that there's swell, you know, allergic swelling or something like that, uh, and you think about it very much as 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 this thing that's uh, sort of an, uh, 
relate it to something more topical, but psychiatric illness and inflammation is not something people often put in the same mm. sentence. And, uh, and, and I think that's really fascinating. So, uh, but you, you, when you start talking about mold and Lyme, the other thing that's happening there is that the body has a hard time. De- people who have a problem with, who, who have chronic Lyme, which means that they're not responding to, you know, other, they, they, they've technically knocked out the, the Lyme, but they're having long-term consequences from it. Uh, those people tend to have a difficult time detoxing from the Lyme. The Lyme produces a, a lot of, Lyme likes to shit in your, in your synovial fluid and in your body. And, and, the, and that is, that is not processed easily by certain people. Uh, and so a mold also is treated in much the same way. So these biotoxins uh, are processed poorly uh, due to various different uh, uh, genetic predispositions. Anyway, that, that tends to, well, also there's this fascinating thing that happens with mold and Lyme, which is the chemical sensitivities uh, that people often develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's also a really common thing uh, where people normally would be, would not have had problems with simple things like perfumes or, you know, uh, fragrances from laundry, but, but uh, a, a mold sensitivity that's produced by a chronic exposure, you're, when you're being exposed to mold, you're being exposed to a combination of things. And it's not all these things, but you're getting exposed to the spores, which are like these microscopic seeds. They, they tend to cause more just allergic type responses. However, they do have mycotoxins on them, which mm-hmm. are kind of like oily substances. And they travel, they tend to travel with spores and fragments of, of fungal material. So, and they don't become airborne by themselves, by the way. Mycotoxins are not airborne by themselves, contrary to, to popular opinion. So mold produces the spores, which, is, which causes allergic response. They also produce the musty smell, which is the byproduct of mold growth, uh, which is actually like mold burps or mold farts, if you will. Hmm. Uh, and really, truly, really, it's the digestive byproduct. And those chemicals are, are, they look just like industrial solvents. Uh, so benzene, various different kinds, aldehydes, alcohols, ketones, these are the things that active mold growth produces. Uh, and so uh, when you start looking at the VOCs that these produce, many of them look a lot like man-made VOCs, some of which are carcinogens. It's no surprise that they trigger immune responses and inflammatory responses in sensitive individuals. Uh, and that musty smell is directly correlated to, by the way, it doubles children's asthma risk if they're exposed to must, musty odors in, in uh, early childhood. Uh, it's also the number one, uh, it's the number two predictor of childhood asthma behind maternal smoking. Uh, and so musty odor is a big deal. And people don't talk about that that much. Uh, and then the mycotoxins everybody talks about are actually really a very small part of, this, uh, of the puzzle. Everybody talks about it because they're, the me- news media has done such a great job of vilifying mold black mold, toxic mold, but the, but the, but that it's a distraction. It's almost a, the reality is, is that the enemy to healthy indoor air is not mold. It's dampness and all mold growth indoors of any significance is potentially problematic for indoor air quality, especially for sensitive individuals, but any dampness indoors. See what I'm looking at is, is this time this, I use the body as a building, as a metaphor, and it, and it, and it, and it plays really well, but, but uh, work with me on this. So I look at the body as an extension of the building as an extension of the immune system. Okay. So an exoskin, an exoskeleton, if you will. See, the, we, we forget that these buildings that we live and work in are not just uh, these static boxes that we store our stuff in 
or that we, this is actually a basic human need, right? Do you think about it? It's air, water, food, shelter is on that list. We would do very poorly without these buildings, right? And in fact, we're a lot like hermit crabs. We wouldn't survive very long at all. Uh, and so the reality is, is that as long as we've been living in caves or whether we're living in built structures, the point is we've had to deal with mold and moisture problems since the beginning of time. It's just that these buildings now are built so tightly uh, that, that when, build, when the mold develops, it concentrates indoors. There's not enough air exchange. Plus, we're bringing all these chemicals from China, from everything we buy at the mall down the street or from Amazon. We open these things up inside our house and all the chemicals from their manufacturing get released into the house, but there's no air exchange. This is the underlying cause of why we've got chronic illness of every sort and kind, uh, autoimmune disease, uh, you know, why we're, we're starting to see all sorts of hormonal disruptions, chronic fatigue. You know, I'm telling you, if you, you, VOCs above mold, we live in buildings that are very tight, that are basically chemical experiments. Uh, and then when you get water in there involved, the materials that we build with are very mold friendly. So they grow mold within 24 to 48 hours. You always remember this. This is a key, key, key takeaway for this talk is that mold growth occurs within 24 to 48 hours of an uncontrolled water event. So in other words, if something gets damp or wet and doesn't get dry, then 20, think about the laundry. This is the way you have to remember this. If you leave your laundry in for a day, you might be okay. Two days, probably not. <laughs> it gets funky, right? And the same thing goes with your sheetrock. See, this is something you can almost set your watch to. Mold growth is up there with death and taxes, like I said. Stuff gets wet, doesn't get dry, gets moldy. And, and so we, the reason we have these problems is because, is because of, there's just this modern buildings, very tight, built with lots of mold-friendly materials and also built with chem, chemical, chemically-based materials. That new house smell, you know what that smells like to a lot of people? Inspiration, success. You know what that smells like to me? Cancer. Mold. Cancer. <laughs> Cancer. You know, right. uh, the new car smell, same kind of thing. And so, so I'm, what I'm encouraging people to do is look at their built, be, be more aware of their air, you know, air, water, food, shelter. You, you eat three times a day. Everyone worries about their food, water. You drink all, all day long. Most people are drinking bottled or filtered water. They're smart about that, right? Uh, air. What are you doing about your air? Well, first of all, are you even aware of your air? You know how many times a day you breathe? You breathe 24,000 times a day. Even someone who breathes more slowly, 21,000 times a day. How many of them are conscious? How many of them are you aware of? And so if you're breathing that many times a day and you're not aware of them, then you know, this, is, this, is the, this, is a public, this is a public health concern that's hiding in plain sight. That's the point. Uh, and so what I'm encouraging people to do is, is, is look at this building as an extension of your immune system, realize that you are responsible as the building's immune system. In fact, the building has, a you could argue as an organism, has a birthday and a death day. Its longevity is dictated by how well you take care of it. And, and, and if the building gets sick and develops aches and pains, which is what buildings do over time, the first thing that does is develop what? A moisture issue, usually a leak. Right. That, that usually, and that first thing that happens is it develops into a mold problem. And so you start to smell that smell. People get sick. See, I look at that mold issue not as a villain, not as this thing that's trying to hurt you, but rather as a signal, as a, as a messenger from the building, like inflammation in the body, saying something's wrong here. You need to take care of this. And if you do, the building will heal and so too will the people. If that dampness remains chronic, just like chronic inflammation is its own disease, th that chronic dampness in the building is its own disease. And by the way, just as a side, those chronic 
that chronic dampness is an invitation for, in fact, that is the environment that produces an environment conducive to the growth of molds like Stachybotrys and Catomium and these water damage indicators that are known for their toxin production. So, so you start looking at mold growth, dampness is the problem, but you can fi- if you fix it quickly, not so bad. If you don't fix it and you have chronic dampness, it's the same as chronic inflammation in the body. It is its own disease. And so there's a symbiotic relationship, if you will, playing this thing all the way through. There's, we have a relationship with our building that I'm encouraging people to reconsider, that there's a symbiotic thing here, right? There's a mutual, we take care of the building, it takes care of us. You fail to take care of the building, well, then you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Wow, that's, that's pretty strong right there. I, I, I don't disagree. And I, I really do want to get into air because I, on your website, which is gotmold.com, there's some articles on air. You got a, a really some really good articles on here, and some really good blogs. Yeah, so Our learning want, center is is is, a, is where we're spending a lot of time and energy. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. I can tell when I was doing looking it over last night. I started going down rabbit holes, and wow, this is cool. This is interesting. But I, so I want to get into air quality. One of the things I want to talk about so before we get in air and finish out the day or the podcast on air. And then your got mold test kit, of course. Let's let's talk about myths and, and facts on mold first. So what are some of the myths of mold? And you can cover facts on mold along with that if you want to. Sure. So what are some of the myths and facts on mold? Because there, I'm, there's many, you know. There's many. It's almost all myths. Right. <laughs> And it's and it's funny too because it's almost uh, it's it's almost all wives' tales, and and it's also um, it's just it's funny how these things get perpetuated. The internet has 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 done a good job of of perpetuating many of them. For example, one of them is uh, the most common one is just throw some bleach on it. Just throw right. some bleach on it, right? That's a really common one, and that was a funny one too because bleach is. Uh, it's not, it's, first of all, people are obsessed and Amer- Americans are obsessed with the smell of clean and the look of clean and right, white right. and all that stuff. And that's I, I, anybody who's, who's pursued health long enough knows that that's a, that's a, that's a false, uh, that, that's a false narrative, right? Uh, bleach is, is not healthy in any area. <laughs> right. Absence of color is usually absence of health and absence of nutrition and all that good stuff. But anyway, the point is that the bleach is one of those things. People think you're just going to sanitize or get killed. First of all, get, the first thing is you don't have to kill mold. That's, I know that's going to be a big one. You don't have to kill mold. There's no need to kill mold. Put that in, in, in bold letters and, and, uh, and, and neon and Times Square. You don't have to kill mold. Mold is, uh, is easily removed. with we, First, you remove the building materials that can't be cleaned, so sheetrock and, and anything porous and absorptive. You remove those materials, uh, and, and, and then you clean the rest of the surfaces. But clean, as Americans, is different than clean. clean yeah. doesn't mean sanitized. It doesn't mean sterile. It just means free of dirt and debris. Uh, it means free, you know, so there's a big difference between clean and, and sterile. Uh, and so the bottom line is that you, when you're doing mold remediation or doing mold cleanup, you don't need to kill it first. There's nothing, you don't need to sneak up behind it and kill it so that it'd be easier to remove it. You're going to remove it anyway. So adding chemicals, even if it's bleach, just adds another chem- another cost, another step, more time, and ultimately more uh, more, more, more potential uh, uh, exposure to people who are applying those chemicals. The other thing about bleach is kind of fun, and this is why it is fun: is that what causes mold? Water. Right. What is bleach? It's water. 
97% hypoclorite water uh, and about 3% sodium hypochlorite, which evaporates very quickly, leaving behind more water. Water. So you've just <laughs> added water to a water problem in most cases. But what you've left behind are beautifully bleached spores that you can't see uh, that lie there waiting for new live ones to land and eat the dead ones and use the moisture to, to continue that process and then eat the rest of the sheetrock. So you just add water to a water problem. That's a very common one. And, and the idea that, first of all, bleach, and second of all, that you need to use, use chemicals in order to clean mold. The other thing is that, uh, that you might want to consider when it comes to, uh, to common myths is you don't need to know what kind of mold you have. Now, we sell a test kit. The Got Mold test kit at gotmold.com. Right. We sell a, a, a do-it-yourself test kit. It's a best of, best of breed. It's professional quality testing with literally the same kind of test you'd get if you hired a professional. But we, but we took out the cost and aggravation of finding and hiring them. But even so, you're going to get a report that shows you the molds you have. And yes, certain molds are indicative of a more serious problem. But if you have a mold problem, it's not just because you have a specific kind of mold. The, the specific kinds of molds tell us about the longevity of the problem, the severity of the problem, the chronic or acute nature of the problem. Uh, but they don't. But the type of mold isn't going to change how you treat it. You don't have toxic mold or the, this mold doesn't change how you do remediation. It doesn't change if you do remediation or not. In all cases, any mold growth of significance needs to be dealt with. Does that make sense? Right. Yep. Those are the most, those are some of the more common uh, myths, you know, or that if I leave it alone, it will go away. That's another big one. If I just leave it be, just let it dry out, it'll be fine. Or I'll just, you know, or, or you know, the, the spraying thing is really dangerous because you actually spray, you spread it. But just leaving mold alone will not make it go away. This is, it will lie there and wait for thousands of years until more moisture comes back and then it begins to grow again. Uh, <laughs> geometric. And then, and then it, you can literally get spores coming out of King Tut's tomb that are, that are able to, 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 uh, to germinate. <laughs> so, so it is more patient than you are, uh, I can assure you. So that. putting in a big old box fan on the mold is not going to help it. Not, not a good idea to blow a high velocity air onto a mold problem. Generally, generally ill-advised. It's a really common problem that mold people call when they have an insurance, you know, they have a flood, they'll call the insurance company and they'll send over the guys with the fans. And the guys with the fans come in with the best of intentions, but they just throw the fans on without looking around to see if there's if the moisture's been there for a little while, or maybe there was a pre-existing mold right. problem. And they end up taking a problem that started in the basement and spread it to the whole house. And you go from a five thousand dollar problem to a twenty five thousand dollar problem. That's because of the, the overzealous use of fans. I mean, I've seen <laughs> fans blow more budgets uh, than 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 you can possibly imagine. So let's talk about the. What's the difference between mold and mildew? That's a good question. Technically, mildew is a plant pathogen. So this, it's, a, it's an organism uh, or it's a group of organisms that grow on plants. And, but, but for the, for the per, that's, the, that's, a science, that's a scientific answer or, 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 a, right. or of an encyclopedic answer. But the reality is, is that mildew, the way we refer to it, is basic hygiene in the home. It's the growth that happens on your tiles or in the grout in your tiles in the bathroom around the gasket of your refrigerator. It's this very low level growth that won't, even if it's left to go crazy, is not going to create a potential health hazard except for the extremely sensitive. Uh, and so, so mold 
and mildew both refer to the organisms. But and so the distinction between mildew and mold would be uh, mildew is basic hygiene. Mold or mold growth, the distinction would be what's the difference between mold in the house? Because mold is present in the house in the form of mildew in every house and a mold problem. That's an interesting question. What's the difference between a mold? Because if everyone house has it and a mold problem, right? So I'm glad you asked. So the, the difference is that a mold, mold problem is where you've got a, an active moisture issue. It could be intermittent. In other words, a leak that happens here, and then it only happens when the wind blows to, you know, this right, way right. on a Tuesday. That's still a problem. That's still a moisture problem. Even if it's not leaking today and tomorrow and the next day, but if it leaks intermittently, that's a problem. Uh, and so any, any growth, any mold growth that, uh, that has a way of impacting your indoor air, which means any mold growth on any surface in your building of any significance is a mold problem. So that's okay. a, but mold. The presence of mold uh, in your in your environment is is normal. It's healthy. In fact, in fact, uh, great book by Rob Dunn called Never Home Alone uh, did some really interesting research in the home and found that we have far more species of microbes than we ever possibly thought. In fact, in each breath that you inhale, you may inhale as many as ten thousand different species. Mm-hmm. In a normal, healthy home, in fact, the lower number of species you inhale, the less healthy that home is measured by. Out by the uh, by the profiles of the occupants, uh, and so you actually want more microbes. You just don't want them growing in your house. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So let's step back here then. Because now I'm curious: is all mold toxic? No. Okay. There's non-toxic mold. So the toxic mold is a bit of a far, is a bit of a misnomer. Because the mold produces toxins. But keep in mind that mycotoxins right. are also the basis for almost all the antibiotics that we use. Penicillin. Right. And so, so toxins have, a, have, you know, and, and keep in mind, there are lots and lots and lots of toxins and lots of foods that people eat every day. Apple seeds are, are, are very toxic if you eat enough of them. And, uh, you know, there are little things, even the, the, actually the pigment in apples, the thing that makes it red. Uh, is actually uh, slightly toxic. It's right. a hormetic harm- response in, in people. It's actually good for you because it's toxic, and you only eat a little bit of it. But the, so, the, so, so the bottom line is that the toxic mold piece is a bit of a red herring because the incredible number of diseases that mold either causes or aggravates is massive in comparison to this narrow list of nebulous symptoms that are caused by. And I say narrow, it's, it's, it's nebulous and narrow. It's a very long list of, of that, are, that, are, that are difficult to attribute to any one particular disease. But you start looking at mold in general and the byproducts of dampness indoors. I mean, the one, the most interesting one to me that, that kind of gets people's attention is you got chronic sinusitis and, and asthma, which is upper respiratory. And, and that's very, everyone understands that, asthma. Mold, get it. But uh, Brown University did a study in uh, 2007, uh, Edward Shinassa, and uh, he found a direct correlation between mold and dampness indoors and depression. Interesting. Uh, now, this is fascinating because, uh, first of all, people don't think about that, as I mentioned before, psychiatric illness, mold. But they, he looked at it and he, they weren't able to figure out the, whether there's a causal relationship. But uh, one of my Dear friends, Joan Bennett at Rutgers University, she's a fungal geneticist. She had a house that was flooded during Katrina. She went down there as a scientist and went to sample the house to see. She was curious because she knew it was very moldy. 
And she brought that Petri dish, it's like a good scientist, and went into her house and was aghast by what she saw with her own personal belongings, just covered in fuzz, but also was hit by a face full of musty odor and got sick for two weeks. And so she became fascinated by the musty odor and she began studying this and she starts testing fruit flies that make the fluoresce or glow when they produce dopamine. And mm. she started t- testing them with this musty odor. And what she found was that they stopped producing dopamine. They also began flying down instead of the light. They began, uh, they stopped reproducing and they started developing what she described as Parkinsonian like symptoms. Um, so the, the nervous system, cognitive issues. And so, um, and so she, uh, she, she concluded that, uh, she refers to mold, the microbial VOCs, uh, not as, uh, musty odor. And she calls them volatoxins. She coined a term volatile organic compounds, but she sees them producing a toxic response in biological <laughs> organism and organism. And so she's, she's, she's calling them volatoxins. And so she found a correlation between mold and dampness or between mold and depression. Uh, as well, but in fruit flies. And I have experienced uh, this personally, and I know lots of people who have. Uh, it, it, the fatigue and the def- it, it perpetuates. Plus, you're very disempowered. If you've got a mold problem that you haven't fixed, it probably means that you don't have enough money or the resources or the permission to do it. Uh, and so so you, you, the mold toxic, toxic mold conversation is complicated. Yeah. But it's fascinating because if you, if you look at mold as... as how it impacts our overall health and some of the largest health concerns that we have, depression being a, ma- a big one, that falls outside the toxic mold conversation, kind of, right? Okay. Because really what we're saying is dampness indoors is the disease. Mold is the symptom. And from that causes a whole bunch of it. So dampness causes all these things. Dampness is the illness. And the mold is the symptom. It's, the, it's like inflammation in the body. And, if, and if, if we could get people to focus on that, what it comes down to, what, you, what do you do if you think you have a mold problem? First thing you do is find the moisture and die, fix that. That's the first thing. Before you worry about any sort of inspections or tests, find the moisture. And if you can't find the moisture, then you hire someone. That's really important. But we ask people to you know, just engage your senses. Do you see it, smell it, or feel it? These are the things you want to ask yourself. Do you see any signs of it? You see, have you had any water damage, leaks, floods, those kinds of things, blistering pain, discoloration? If you see it, do something. If you smell it, you probably have it too. The musty smell is pretty is pretty hard to is pretty hard to fake. If you got a musty smell, you got mold doing its thing. It's eating. It's digesting. Right? Something. It's growing somewhere, usually in close proximity to the odor. Uh, and if you feel it, which means symptoms, you feel worse when you're indoors than you do when you leave. You know, this is people are usually pretty aware. Uh, people out their intuition on this stuff is pretty good. Uh, so I always say, if you, if you see it, smell it or feel it, if you see something, smell something or, or feel something, do something. Um, but you want to trust your intuition, but you also want to get the facts. And that's why we suggest testing, uh, as a, you know, gotmold.com, our test kit, of course, you know, we're, we're big fans of that. There's another one that tests for the musty odor, which is good for hidden mold growth. That's through homeaircheck.com. Um, but at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're getting advice from places that you trust. So that means like not getting it from Facebook. Uh, you want to you want to find resources online that that are that are unbiased, and you want to work with professionals that are also unbiased. So if you do, you know, do some testing, do it yourself or, or otherwise, and you find a professional and you want to hire them, make sure that they're independent and that they don't have a conflict of interest. In other words, they don't have a remediation business, and that their brother isn't in the remediation business because that can get messy, and people will will do funny things in pursuit of the almighty dollar.
Of course they will. Of course they will. That's the way the world. It's like, it's like mold. <laughs> Just the way it is. Yeah. Is there a way to kill mold? Since I mean, we already talked about bleach, but is there? If I wanted to say, hey, no need. There's no need. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's no need. If you if you have mold on a on a hard surface, it can be wiped off. Okay. If you have mold on a soft surface, it has to be thrown away. Okay. And so, and then what you end up with is air mold in the air, and right. then air that settles on surfaces, and those just get cleaned. So, so the way mold remediation works is, like I said, you it's a combination. There's controlled demolition. You take out the stuff. You, you put a tent around the work area with special ventilation, and the workers have protective protective gear to protect their their right. their skin and their and their mucous membranes and their lungs, of course. Uh, and, and then they go in and they remove all the building materials that are water damaged or mold affected that can't be cleaned. Right. And then so, they, and then they'll have a vacuum and wipe everything down. Uh, but if you have if you have a specific mold, for example, like on a on a on a sofa or something like that, and it's upholstered, usually it has to be disposed of. Okay, that's my next question. Do you need to replace the drywall and the wood if it's mold damaged? It depends if the wood has been. If the structural integrity of the wood has been impacted, okay. So, in other words, mold. By the way, mold doesn't really like wood. Uh, okay. it, it will grow on the surface of it, but it doesn't really like. It's too hard to chew, it's, so to speak. And you know, wood has a strong structure, which gives it the stability that we like that we use it for. Right. right? right. Uh, and those cells have that 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 block shape, uh, and that the hard walls are difficult for for mold to derive. So it ha- takes a lot more moisture to break it down. Okay. Uh, and then start to pre-chew it, if you will. Right. Uh, so mold mold tends to, so usually you can just remove the, the sheetrock. Any insulation that's gotten wet always has to go. Carpet, carpet padding that's gotten wet for 24 hours or longer should go. Ceiling, ceiling tiles, rather. Um, anything porcelain or the car, car, uh, anything uh, uh, upholstered, unless it's high monetary or sentimental value, should be uh, generally disposed of, uh, if it's not dried within 24 hours. And that's so. That's the general rule. Okay. Anything, anything porous and absorptive uh, should be should be disposed of if it's not dried within twenty four hours. Anything that's structural can generally be restored, even if it's not perfect, right? So you may have little stuff, stuff staining on the wood in many cases, but who cares? It doesn't. It, it's it's not the issue. Okay. Uh, and then you just replace the materials. Now, here's another quick little fun tip for for people who are in this or have been going through this. Look at the building materials that you're replacing your old ones with. This is your opportunity to make a step in the right direction. What I mean by that is chemicals that we talked about earlier, VOCs, are are a major underlying cause of illness in America. Uh, There's just, there's fascinating, actually, I just this morning read a piece, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's a big deal. Absolutely. Uh, Nearly a third of Americans are borderline pre- Non-alcoholic fatty liver. Did you know that a third of Americans are I just borderline? Read that. I, I read that the other day, actually. Maybe it's the same article. Me. Yeah, it's shocking to me. And, and guess what? It, they're they're now seeing that VOCs in our buildings are a culprit. So we're dealing. You don't have to be an alcoholic to drink a VOC. Right. Alcohol is a VOC. You can also inhale. See, your liver is processing all that stuff. It's not just sugar and alcohol, people. Uh, and so if you're going to be doing remediation or doing renovations, choose materials that don't have a high chemical uh, load. So choose materials like 
paints that don't have VOCs. No VOC and low VOC paints are very good these days, and they're affordable. Uh, the She-Rock, you can use paperless wallboard. Uh, there's one made by Dens Armor Plus, or made by, by uh, Georgia Pacific called Dens Armor Plus, that doesn't grow mold when it gets wet. These are the kinds of materials you want to consider replacing our, our standard sort of builder's grade stuff with, uh, because listen, moisture happens, mold happens, you know? And so if, if a moisture problem does happen, you want to be, you want to plan for it and be proactive. So let's talk about, this brings us, brings me right where I wanted to be anyway, is air, the air in the house. And I have an air doctor, which I love, but I'd like to know how do we do this in, in this world? Because like I live in an older town home and I really want to touch base on the VOCs and what to look for when you buy, but we can do that in a minute. How do we create this environment in our homes now that it keeps us healthy and keeps us breathing good air? My air doctor does a wonderful job, but you know, is, is there, what is the best? I mean, what is, what should be used to create this environment inside our homes? I mean, it's not fresh air. We're, we're not outside. No, no. And that's, you know, you, it's a very expensive proposition to heat and cool the outdoors. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what you're, that's what you're up against when you're dealing with. Um, so, so when it comes to air, air quality problem, okay. The, the first tool, let me just back up. The first tool for a healthy home is awareness. Okay. Uh, because with awareness, you can prevent new stuff from coming in. The problem is, is that we're buying houses from people who are using old the, the, yesterday's thinking and yesterday's materials and yesterday's uh, uh, contractors and all that stuff. And so, so you're buying a legacy. If you're building new construction, you have even worse problems because they're all for profit and that lower cost materials, higher chemical load. So you have to be super vigilant if you're going to be doing anything new to spec out every material. And I do this consulting for people. As mostly, I do it for my my, my uh, investors and, and friends uh, when they're building houses now. But to spec out, you can do you can go to companies like GreenGuard.org where they have these materials that have been uh, have been screened. So you can see like you know paints and carpets and and uh, sealants and finishes and things like that that have. Uh, been been approved by GreenGuard. It's a great resource. So the first tool for healthy indoor air is awareness. It's stop bringing bad stuff in is first, but then also realizing the stuff that's already in the house that's that's just inevitably going to be a problem, like carpet in a basement. That's a big problem. Carpet in basements is bad. Period. Don't tell me the kind of carpet. Don't tell me about your dehumidifier, and don't tell me all the. All bullshit. <laughs> carpet in a basement, bad news. Okay. Uh, get rid of it. By the way, I have carpet in my basement. We just moved into this house. Gonna go out, right? It's one of those things. Right. I also prefer not to have sheetrock in a basement. You can use paperless wallboard. But when in terms of things that anybody can do, this is the key, right? Something that anybody can do. First thing you want to do is get yourself a really good air purifier or three or four and 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 use them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like you would a pacemaker if you had a heart problem. You keep those near you. You put them in your bedroom. You put them in the in the in your living room in areas where you spend the most time. And if you don't have a good bathroom, uh, kitchen exhaust fan, especially in, in the kitchen, because kitchens produce a tremendous amount of pollution and um, all sorts of pollution that you wouldn't believe. And so the bottom line is that good air purifiers. Now, how do you know what's a good air purifier? Well, not all HEPA filters are created equal. What you don't want are anything that creates ions, 
uh, zap any any hydroxyls, ozone, anything that's got lots of acronyms except for HEPA, probably lots of gadgetry. That's not what you want. You want a mechanical filter that removes particles, which are mold spores, and also that's got activated carbon in it that removes the VOCs. And you want a lot of VOC. You want as much as much uh, uh, carbon as possible. The units that I like the most right now are made by a company called Medify, M-E-D-I-F-Y. They're about half the price of IQ Air, which is my, which has been long my favorite air purifier. They're the gold standard. Um, and they have a tremendous um, amount of carbon, which removes the VOCs. So I like IQ Air. They're very expensive. Uh, and Medify, much more cost-effective. Uh, and you can get a really good HEPA filter for a small, for a one-bedroom, for, for, for under $100, for 200 square feet. Uh, really, really good units. Uh, so air purifiers are, are awesome. Are absolutely, I think they're a required appliance in every home. I think if you've got a if you if you've got a refrigerator and you've got you know a washer and dryer in your house, right. your next thing is air purifiers in every room. <laughs> um, it's it's, fun, it's fundamental, especially if you haven't gotten rid of your carpet. Especially if you have the other thing is you want to get yourself a HEPA filtered vacuum cleaner, and that should be a, all these units need to be true HEPA, cert true HEPA. That means that the unit. The air goes through the filter instead of around it. A lot of times, these don't have gaskets, and so they're not called true HEPA. And if they're not true, air bypasses them, and so you get a lot of unfiltered air. The other thing that people want might want to look at if they're really wanting to invest in their indoor air quality once you've got the air purifiers going is uh, is an ERV or an HRV, which is an energy recovery ventilator or a heat recovery ventilator. And so they're different. They're different units based upon the way they handle humidity uh, and based upon whether you're in a heating climate or a cooling climate. In other words, whether you air condition most of the year or whether you heat most of the year. And uh, those units will exchange outdoor air with indoor air. They'll ex- expel the stale air and they do it by passing air through a tra- a, uh, a entry wheel, a wheel that will actually, uh, uh, a heat exchanger that will transfer the heat or whatever energy you've got in your air into the incoming air and filter out the incoming air, so you're not bringing pollutants in, but you're passing out the air, and you're keep and you're not losing all the energy, so you're not just like pissing your electric bill into the wind. Wow! Um, and so those are those are powerful. Now they're required uh, in many commercial buildings. Uh, okay. it, that was the answer to sick building syndrome way back when, which you'll remember from the '80s and early '90s. That was the answer to that because it was VOCs. It was it was it was it was too much carbon dioxide, too many people in the buildings, and too many new materials that were all made of that crude early plastic that we all know and love as that were made our soda bottles that smelled like chemicals. Everything we made back then was just chemicals. So, but anyway, they solved that with ERVs and HRVs uh, or with, with building with air exchange. We don't have that in residential construction <laughs> and we need that in residential construction. So, um, so in other words, so to summarize that, you know, you want to be smart about the stuff you bring in the house. You want to remove the stuff that's low hanging fruit, like carpet and basements and anything that smells chemically and you want to be super vigilant about anything that's moisture prone and be hyper vigilant about things like bathroom exhaust vents make sure they go through the roof instead of in, into the attic uh dryer vents outside not into the basement to humidify people do crazy things like this don't dry your clothes indoors dry your clothes outside if you can't throw them in the dryer uh, these are the things that you do to control moisture and then get a humidity gauge monitor these things you know if you can't mod, uh, quantify it don't modify it so if people want to humidify and dehumidify without knowing what their humidity is, uh, get a humidity gauge. They're 10 bucks. 
Mm. Uh, and then keep it between 40 and 60% and do it in your bedroom, do it in your basement. They have great units that you can put in where you got a dashboard, a digital dashboard, you put it in your kitchen. You put these wireless sensors in all the areas that you don't really want to go to, like your crawl space, outside, so you can see if you have to throw a coat on to go get your paper. You know, like you throw it in your kids' room and see if they're going to be cold at night. You, you throw these remote sensors all over the place and you get this dashboard. Oregon Scientific makes it, and, for, for example. And you, you, you monitor these things. And if you see the humidity spike in any of these rooms, you may have a leak. You may have a flood. Hmm. Uh, and that's the kind of the attention to the awareness you know, you want to have about your building because it's an extension of your immune system. You want to know it like your body, like the back of your hand, so to speak, you know, because this is really, truly hiding right under the tip of your nose. Mm-hmm. All right. Mold remediation companies or contractors. How do you go about finding a qualified good mold remediation contract? I don't know, but if you figure it out, you let me know. <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, it is. It is no. It, right. So here, here, here's oh, it's like the finding a good builder. It, well, it, it is it is a lot like that because it, it, there's a there's a changing of the guard that happens with contractors, especially with uh, contractors that you know in the environmental remediation space, where if they they could be great and then they lose a foreman. That foreman was what made them great, you right. know, because that's the guy who's in the field, in the field dude, uh, every day, okay, the, uh, uh, in front of the consumer, who's making sure that they're not using the customer's toilet, they're using the porta potty. So these kinds of little things, that's okay. the foreman who's okay. a leader in the field. Uh, and so that, that it can be, it, one thing I will tell you is that the big franchises are generally not good. I'll tell you why. Uh, because they are, uh, they're primarily focused on insurance work, which is quick and dirty, and they don't like to do testing. Testing is key. You have to work with a remediation contractor that, so I actually wrote an article about how to hire a mold remediation yeah, contractor, it's in here. which I, yep. can, which I can provide you. Uh, I can put that in a link. I can send you a link to that, or we can put it in the show notes. Uh, there's an article about how to hire a mold remediation contractor. And so basically what we say is uh, you want to use all the typical resources. You know, you look at your reviews, Yelp, Department of Consumer Affairs, Better Business Bureau, all that stuff. Uh, then you want to make sure that they don't do inspections, especially not their own work, right? That they're not going to do testing. You want to make sure they're willing to submit themselves to third-party clearance testing. That means that they're going to have a third party do the testing. That depend that that is the determines whether or not they get paid, right? Okay. And so, but but the way that works best is if that guy or gal comes in and does the initial inspection, generates a work plan, the contractor bids on the work plan, and then the and then the, the inspector comes and does the testing at the end. That's what we do at one eight hundred mold. So we go, guide the entire process. So we come in, do an inspection, just like a physical in a doctor's office, doing a proper physical. Then we do the testing, and then we do the diagnostics. We develop a remediation plan. We hand it over to the remediator, who I, I like to think of remediation like surgery, okay, to right. use that. And so the remediation contractor simply looks at my, our work plan and says, okay, yes, this is how we'll, we'll follow. Here's the clearance criteria. Here's how we know when we're finished. And then we come back and do the testing at the end. And so you need to have a contractor that's willing to play that game because that's the game that protects you, right? So you want to have an inspection done before and you want to have an inspection done after. And you want to have the inspector be the one who's driving the ship on that. Uh, don't buy into free inspection. Remediation contractors love to do free inspection. Uh, and it's a lot like inviting a vampire into your house. You know, you, know, you wouldn't invite a timeshare salesman into your house either. Right? No. So say anybody who's doing free inspection, they, they, trust me, they don't value their time at $0. Right. Uh, they're going to get paid somehow. 
All right, let's talk about gotmold.com. We're going to have a gotmold.com slash rebel. And what are they going to get for going there? Yes, sir. So at gotmold.com, that's where we uh, we just launched, by the way. Very exciting. Uh, it's been a little over a month now uh, that we have made these kits publicly available. Uh, and uh, so we are uh, just working with you know a few podcast hosts at this point and just you know, slowly opening this up to uh, to the public, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. So, what we're doing now for for your for listeners uh, of your show is we have a welcome page at gotmold.com slash rebel r e b e l. Uh, you can also use uh, if you go to gotmold.com, you can also use the coupon code rebel ten for ten percent off. Okay, if you wanted to take a look at this kit. What we sell at gotmold.com is a one uh, is a uh, an air testing kit that allows you to collect samples in one, two, or three rooms. They start at $149 for one room, $199 for two rooms, and $249 for three rooms. And then okay. when you when you once you've bought a kit, you get our air sampling pump, which is what makes this work. It, this replaces a professional air sampling pump. You get to keep that. You can either give it to a friend and they can order supplies that they want to test, or you can keep that and retest yourself. And if you do that, you can order refills for a reduced fee of $99 for one room, $149 for two. And one ninety nine for three. Okay. Uh, and so, again, for your listeners, anybody who wants to uh, to buy a kit, they can get ten uh, percent off of any of those. You want to get a full kit because you need the pump, of course. Right. Um, and uh, and so, and all with with one of the things that's unique about uh, what, about the way we're going about it is that all of our fees are included. So there's no shipping fees. They're, they're the lab fees. Everything is included in that price. So the other kits okay. aren't like that. Uh, and so if you look at it in terms of actual price, this is the price. There is no okay. secondary. There's no there's no nickel and diming uh, whatsoever. And what you get for that uh, is you'll get a, a the air sampling pump. You'll get the cassettes to collect the samples. You get a prepaid return mailer that goes to our lab partner, the number one lab in the country, MLAB PNK. Uh, they have a two-day turnaround there. So just depending upon how long it takes in the mail, that, that's how, how long it takes for the turnaround time. And then you get a beautiful report. The lab report that tells you what kind of molds you have, what concentrations. And then we also have an interpretation engine uh, that's unique to us that gives you a green, yellow, orange, or red reading, uh, depending upon what was found, as well as uh, a list of resources, uh, including uh, an ebook, a uh, 45 page ebook with inspection checklist, which we'll also have on your gotmold, on your welcome page at gotmold.com slash rebel. Um, and, uh, and, and some uh, links to some of the trade associations who train and certify mold inspectors and remediators, which answers one of your questions. Uh, yeah. How do you find a, a qualified mold remediator? Uh, after you've done some homework, uh, you, you can go to uh, iicrc.org. Uh, that's also in, uh, on our website in, in the sample report, iicrc.org, uh, and you can find qualified uh, mold contractors there. But generally speaking, we recommend people start with an inspector rather than a contractor because the inspector is really going to be your Sherpa, if you will, or your guide uh, through the process. And so you want to probably go to acac.org, which is the uh, uh, which is where the certified industrial uh, certified uh, indoor environmentalists um, okay. are listed, uh, and those people will be able to, to guide you through that process. Now um, let's talk about one room kit. Let's walk through this. How, what do you do with this kit? You put the sure. Walk me so, through this. So this is so. If you want to have your house tested for mold right now, and you were to call a professional, they're going to come okay. over. They're going to do a, an inspection with 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 you know, 
the typical part, you know, flashlights, particle counters, and then they're going to figure out where they want to collect an air sample. Okay. And that's going to be driven by what they see or don't see in the inspection. Okay. So they're going to find a complaint area where there's somebody who's either see something, smell something, or feel something. Okay. And then in that room, you'll then set up, they would set up an air sampling pump, which is on a tripod. looks a lot like a, like, like a, like a R2D2 or like, or more like a, like an alien, uh, you know, on a tripod. Anyway, it's a calibrated device. It's about $700. And on top of that are these cassettes. These cassettes are air sampling cassettes. They're used in all sorts of indoor air quality surveys, uh, including asbestos and things like that. These cassettes, okay. cassette, the round cassette, it acts like a filter. And so the air passes through the filter, it's drawn by the pump in through. And then these cassettes, uh, they run for five minutes each, and then they get put back in the box. Uh, that they came from. And then when you're all done, you go to gotmold.com slash activate, put in your information, who collected the samples, where you want the report sent, things like that. And then this is the return mailer. Boom. This goes right in the mail. The same box that the cassettes came in or the same cassette, same box as the cassettes go back to the lab. And they will be analyzed, uh, like I said, according to the same professional standards that that you would pay a pretty penny for. Uh, and then the results are, are within two businesses. Okay, question for you. What's an outdoor air sample? That's a great question. So uh, there is no such thing as normal when it comes okay. to mold indoors uh, because there are so many different kinds of molds uh, and there are so many different kinds of climates and, and eco e- ecologies, if you will, uh, amongst our great 50 states. And so uh, the, uh, the, way we, uh, the way the indoor air quality industry looks at these things is that there are... Uh, there are it's basically a relative comparison. So we collect an outside air sample to see what's normal in your environment at the time of the sampling. All mold spores in your house should, or at least most should, come from outside. Okay. And so we should see the same kinds inside and the same concentrations inside as we do outside to a large degree. But we don't. Oftentimes, we see high concentrations in different types indoors, and that's a red flag. Right, so that's what we're. That the outdoor reference sample is the comparator. Okay, it's the basis. Is the it's a baseline oh, okay. that we use, and what the software does essentially is delete <laughs> what we find uh, in the outdoor sample from the indoor sample. Okay, and then we do this comparison, and so our software knows there are outliers. You know, certain molds you see a certain number of them. I mean, that's just a, that's just a red flag. Right, but there are certain times when you might find that there's a really high number of them outside. If you don't collect that outside sample, the indoor environment looks really bad, but it's okay. not. It's transient. Air moves through your house. People think it's a static thing. Uh, you, you'd be amazed at how much turnover uh, happens in, in, uh, in, in houses that aren't super, super tight. Okay, great. Anything you want to leave the listeners with before we leave? No, uh, other than uh, get in touch with your home. Uh, yeah. You know, your, 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 your house is your home and your home is your health. Um, there, there is, there are very few things. In fact, I don't know of anything that has a a higher return on investment, mm. uh, and that than than a healthy indoor environment. It's energy, it's vitality, it's longevity, it's clarity of thought, it's productivity. This is, I mean, you want to talk about biohacking? The best thing you can do is have healthy air, man. 
I mean, honestly, forget about all this stuff. Food, and all. You, right. you, you, you can, you can live without food and water for a while, but you can't live without air. Oh, yeah. uh, and and you know, three minutes, and you're you're in bad shape. So my my suggestion is to start thinking about this in in a, in a, in, a, in a slightly different way, and and realize that uh, that this is the kind of thing that a very small investment uh, and a, and a, and a continual renewal of awareness has the potential to to truly give you the better years of your life. Uh, it is within your control. And everybody in this world is worried about the outdoor pollution and everything else, and they should be. You know, We want to protect our environment. But I can't do anything about that. I can't right. make China and India and Russia stop doing the things that right, they're right. doing. Where can I... But I can control my indoor environment. I can. And very few things in this world do we have that opportunity to do so. And I feel like if you can, you should. And so that's what I want to leave you with. Okay. Now, one question I have for all my guests that doesn't have anything to do with the topic today, which was mold and mold 101, basically, is if Jason had 30 to 45 minutes to kill or chill, what album or artist would you listen to? And you can't say Air Supply. <laughs> How much time? 30 to 45 minutes. I've been I've been playing with albums lately. Actually, okay. it's funny you'd, you'd ask that because we listen to songs so right. much, right? But right. like, a real album. Um, I probably would would go with Sgt. Pepper's. Oh, nice. Only Hearts Club band. Yeah, well, yeah, I had that conversation on this this last weekend on the way to our fishing trip. It's like, who are some of the greatest rock bands of all time? And we were talking about the Beatles and where that fit in. And my that was my if if you were going to put the Beatles in one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time, that album would be my number one from them. Yeah, no doubt about it. I uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the Beatles. In fact, I uh, I haven't sat through the entire thing yet, but uh, I, I can't wait to have the time to do so. But the the uh, Get Back documentary, yeah, on oh, really? Disney Plus, it's fascinating. It's eight hours of these guys of John Lennon and and, and uh, Paul McCartney hanging out, and really? Ringo Starr hanging out, recording an album, which became recording an album that they were gonna they were going to perform live, which ultimately became their last live performance, and it's fascinating and they're 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 at this point in their career where they're just you know they're at the peak and yoko ono's you know sort of annoyingly present in all of the uh sh huh. shots and anyway it's really great yeah i mean she's annoyingly just, present yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a perfect way to describe her okay yeah so she, she 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 inserted herself uh you know in a in a in a uh rather obvious way yes very consistent. And where was Disney Channel? It's on Disney Plus. Okay. And Disney Plus. And I and I, I got inspired by that. I started I've been listening to all the Beatles albums since the beginning. I went back to the uh, you know the, the first and and listened chronologically. Awesome. And uh yeah, what a what a cool experience. Yeah, that awesome. band really did that changed changed our world. Yeah, they did. They did that. I mean, but they yeah, they did that. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming in on and this was a great episode i loved and enjoyed it very much likewise and thank you very much for having me absolutely thank you for joining in today with the rebel health coach tom underwood and be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes with desire and commitment you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness for the support encouragement and tools you need to be successful visit tomunderwood.net